Hi, hey. Hello there. This is Go for Set Deck Podcast, and I am your host, Shana Worsham. We took a bit of a break there for a minute because I was on a show, and now we've wrapped and things are in that weird, fuzzy stage where you want a job, but like you don't want a job, but you have to find a job, but it's almost the holidays. So are you going to get a job? I mean, we're not in it. Just, just me, me alone, lonely Island. And so since it's fall and personally, I love fall. It's one of my favorite seasons. We're in October. It's amazing. Everything's turning crisp and changing colors and being beautiful. But I also kind of like love summer, so I'm a little sad that it's over. But also I love spring, so that's exciting that it's coming. But winter can fuck off. Uh, So since it's October, I figured I'd walk a thin line on morbid curiosity and life lessons with this episode. Which brings me to our topic... Film deaths. Now, before I get into the nitty gritty of the meat on this episode, I wanted to give a few updates on a couple of things. Number one, the Helena Hutchins situation. Alec Baldwin has reached a settlement with Helena Hutchins' estate. The Hutchins family had filed a wrongful death lawsuit back on February 15th over the fatal shooting shooting of Helena on set. We are coming up on the one-year anniversary of the incident that occurred on October 21st, 2021, which is completely insane. Santa Fe's sheriff's office has yet to charge anyone. The film is actually scheduled to return filming in 2023 with the original cast and with Matthew Hutchins, Helena's husband, joining as an executive producer. Matthew has been quoted saying, all of us believe that Helena's death was a terrible accident. I am grateful that the producers and the entertainment community have come together to pay tribute to Helena's final work. Some of my sources for this information are Deadline.com. It's an article by Anthony D'Alessandro and Dominic Patton. Ooh, I almost pronounced his last name wrong. <laughs> my apologies. Uh, and some of the Atlanta events that are coming up in October, to switch gears a little bit, are um, these are not in date order, but October 21st is an Set Decorators Society of America Halloween party over at the Prop House Tech Props, which I'm excited for because I can't imagine doing October without some fun Halloween parties, right? And I personally love the SDSA and I love Tech Props, so it's going to be fun, I think. October 14th, which is coming up quick because it's, oh my gosh, it's already October 10th that I'm, when I'm recording this, (laughs) October 14th, Bluff Street Props is having a little bit of a party. I hope that I can air this in time to make sure that that announcement makes it. And October 23rd, 
is Six Flags Day for IATSE 479. So if you guys haven't signed up for your tickets yet for the Six Flags Day, be sure to do that because it is free and Six Flags during October is very lovely. It's nice that we're coming back from the COVID restrictions and we can finally, I say finally, but I just mean it's nice that we're coming back and we can do these events again and feel a little bit like, hey, we can do stuff and have fun. But also COVID's not completely gone. So keep in mind in case you are in the pocket of people that need to be a little bit more on the cautious side. All right. So that being said, this episode will not be for everyone. I'm going to be talking about various deaths and injuries that happen on set. This is not meant to be disrespectful to the parties involved and the families of the people that were lost. I'm looking at it more of a, more as a learning tool so that we all remain mindful and safe while at work. That was the point of this episode. That's why I came up with this concept. I feel like it's really important that we acknowledge that we are not invincible. All right, so according to the Associated Press, there have been 43 deaths on set between 1990 and 2016. That's also not including 150 life-changing injuries. I'm going to highlight 10 of these deaths, and they are going to be listed in no particular order. So to start us off, Number 10, because I'm going to count down because to me, my brain works that way. And instead of counting up, I like to count down. So number 10, this is one personally that I did not know about. And I feel like that's kind of crazy because I've been working in this industry for a while. So you think that there would be mentions of it or it'd come out or you talk about it, but no, I had never heard about this until I started this episode. Uh, So number 10 is the death of Vic Morrow, Renee Shinyi Chen, and Micah Din Lee. In 1982, The Twilight Zone, the movie, was being filmed in Santa Clarita, California. The story basically is about a racist who is sent back in time and has to relive different scenarios throughout time to see a different perspective. And Morrow, who was 53 at the time, was working alongside of two child actors, seven-year-old Micah Din Lee and six-year-old Renee Shin Yi Chen. There was a scene where the three of them flee a U.S. Army helicopter during the Vietnam War. The helicopter crashed due to a pyrotechnic explosion Basically, it was not communicated by the director to the pilot and between the person who was setting off the special effect. And the helicopter flew too close to the explosion, and the explosion affected the helicopter's (sighs) propeller. And the three of them, as Maro ran with the children in his arms, were killed instantly. Six members aboard the helicopter were also injured. 
The parents of Lian Chen, along with Morrow's children, sued Warner Brothers and the individuals involved. The director at the time for that episode, or that portion, the segment, because there's, I believe, four segments, was John Landis. And four other defendants, including the pilot, Darcy Wingo, were tried for involuntary manslaughter. They were acquitted after a nine-month trial. The families all settled out of court for an undisclosed amount. The film was released, and it was a commercial success, grossing $42 million on a $10 million budget. The two child actors were hired in violation of California law, which prohibits child actors from working at night or in proximity to explosions. Steven Spielberg was a producer on the project and was quoted saying, No movie is worth dying for. I think people are standing up much more now than ever before to producers and directors who ask too much. If something isn't safe, it's the right and responsibility to every actor or crew member to yell cut. This one was just so shocking when I was reading about it because I had no idea that it was child actors were involved and had passed away in such an extreme way. I can't believe that the special effect wasn't handled in a better way, but of course, you know, accidents are going to happen on set. We've seen it many times where things don't always go as planned, but it kind of shows that communication is really key and there are rules in place on set for exactly this reason. Some of the sources that I obtained a lot of this information from that I should probably mention before we get into the rest of it are articles online from Wikipedia, The Wrap, The New York Times, The Associated Press, and safetyforsarah.com. I'm also going to mention before I get into the rest of these that Associated Press had found that there are 25 instances of amputations during production since 1990, with the most recent taking place in 2013. A worker on the set of New Girl lost a part of his ring finger when he was cut by a saw that had an anti-kick safety device removed. 20th Century Fox was fined $18,000. So on top of all these deaths, the amount of injuries that happen on set that have been recorded and not recorded are extensive. So I'm just going to say that, everyone, we should take our jobs very seriously and safety is a big concern. So I kind of can't believe that even in 2013, we're still looking at things that happen as simple as an anti-kick safety device being removed on a saw. All right, so number nine. And being in the Atlanta community, this is one that is very prevalent in our minds still to this day, which is the death of Sarah Jones while filming Midnight Rider. Sarah was a camera assistant that was killed in Georgia in 2014 while filming. As the crew prepared for a shot that involved placing a bed across the tracks of a CSX railroad line, a train appeared and the bed ended up 
pushing Sarah into the train. Seven others were injured during this accident. Jones's family filed a wrongful death lawsuit against 18 defendants. The suit alleged that none of the defendants had obtained permission to film on the tracks. Also, they had not taken proper safety precautions. The film's director, Randall Miller, pleaded guilty to involuntary manslaughter and served one year in jail. He was also sentenced to eight years of probation. The producer, Jay Sedrish, received 10 years of probation and a $10,000 fine. The first AD, Hillary Swartz, was sentenced to 10 years probation and a $5,000 fine. Slates for Sarah was born as a tribute to Sarah's memory, and film crews around the world showed their support by noting Sarah's name on their slates. Her family has also been advocating for set safety since the loss of the 27-year-old by creating a foundation in her name. The Sarah Jones Film Foundation calls the entire film community to generate constructive and realistic strategies to prevent other such tragedies from happening in the future. The foundation accepts donations to put on their annual field day and to offer scholarships as well as raise the level of accountability on set. And just in case you haven't visited their website, it's safetyforsarah.com and that's Sarah with an H. The film was never released and I also want to mention that there was not a medic on set for filming, which takes us over to number eight. The single largest incident occurred on set of 1989's The Sword of Tipu Sultan. On set of the Hindi language television drama, a fire broke out at the studio. It took 62 lives of the cast and crew The film's director and star, Sanjay Khan, spent 13 months in the hospital and underwent 72 operations to treat his burns. Unavailability of firefighting equipment and ignorance of fire safety have been quoted as major reasons for the high death toll. Loose wiring and absence of ventilators were further causes for the spread of the fire, the temperature in the studio rose to 248 degrees Fahrenheit because of the huge lights being used for filming. 5,000 rubies were paid to the victims' families, and the show aired a year later. Number seven, David Ritchie on the set of Jumper. He was a 56-year-old set dresser working in Toronto, when frozen sand, earth, and ice from an exterior set rained down on him, killing him instantly. A second man was also sent to the hospital with serious head and shoulder injuries. Four workers were sorting lumber debris when the frozen sand and gravel adhering to a wall broke away in large slabs and fell on top of the two workers. The workplace accident occurred as separate crew members were dismantling the exterior set for shipment to Baja, California for reshoots. So the 
shooting company had already moved on and these people were working on wrapping the sets for reshoots. Vibrations of the heavy equipment were found to have contributed to the separation and collapse. Jumper Productions pleaded guilty in the Ontario Court of Justice to three counts under the Occupational Health and Safety Act. The company was fined $250,000. The movie released in 2007 and had In Memory of David Ritchie listed in the credits. Number six, the death of Ricardo Cornelius, an injury of Olivia Jackson on Resident Evil, the final chapter. In 2016, the filming of Resident Evil, the final chapter was plagued with serious mishaps while filming in South Africa. Olivia Jackson was performing a motorcycle stunt where a camera mounted on a crane was supposed to raise up and over her as she drove away, helmetless, on her motorcycle. The crane malfunctioned and it didn't move out of her way in time during the stunt, and she reacted by trying to shield her face with her arm. She received several injuries, including a twisted spine, broken discs, brain bleeds, nerves torn, a degloved face, shattered eye socket, and an extensively injured left arm that led to being amputated. Jackson sued and won for workplace injuries. She was initially only compensated $33,000 for the injuries. Two months later, another crew member, whose title is unknown, personally, I could not find it in my research. I'm not sure what his position was, but it sounds like he was operating in special effects. He was crushed to death by an improperly secured Humvee. His name was Ricardo Cornelius, and he was only 34 years old. The Humvee was being manually rotated by Ricardo and a team when it slid off the platform and pinned Ricardo. His lungs were crushed, and he died shortly after going to the hospital. His wife had been quoted saying that she was very much in the dark about what transpired around her husband's death. Later, when the movie released, it was dedicated to Ricardo's memory. Also while filming, another crew member, who was unnamed, was injured by a plastic boulder and tore a ligament, spending six weeks on crutches and never returning to work. In 2011, on set of Resident Evil Retribution, 16 background actors dressed as zombies fell from a collapsing high-wheeled platform. I'm assuming this was some sort of steel deck or a setup that was built and failed. 12 of these background actors were taken to the hospital for their injuries. No one passed away on that event. All right, now, number five. This one messed me up because it involves animals. So if you don't want to hear about animals dying, you might want to fast forward through this one. And it's also not confirmed, so I will say that before I get into it. 
The rumor of deaths on the 1986 film, The Adventures of Milo and Otis. Now this one messes me up every single time I think about it. The movie is about a dog and a kitten's friendship that is heartwarmingly narrated by Dudley Moore. The film was originally made in Japan and had an international release that was a bit of an afterthought. Many American and Japanese animal rights activists protested the film strongly because they were claiming that the filmmakers knowingly put animals in danger, perhaps even purposely injuring them for filming. One of the unconfirmed rumors, I'm saying unconfirmed, includes a crew member breaking a kitten's leg in order to get a shot of it stumbling. If the animal societies are to be believed, as many as 30 Milo's and Otis's died during filming, including over 20 kittens. Oh my God, which like hurts, physically hurts my heart. Even though the film was approved by the American Humane Society, none of its officials were present during filming. They tried to investigate what happened, but could not confirm whether or not it was false. This takes us to number four, the death of John Jordan while making Catch-22. Prior to his death in 1969, John had been operating a camera on the set of You Only Live Twice, which is part of the James Bond franchise. Jordan was hanging out of a helicopter to secure a better shot during filming when another helicopter's rotor blade severely cut his leg. His leg had later needed to be amputated, but that did not stop John from working. Oh my gosh, amputations freak me out a little bit when I think about it. Just being on set and you're doing your job, all of a sudden something happens that impacts you to lose body parts. (laughs) Okay, um, back to it. That did not stop John from working. Three years later, while he was filming a scene for Catch-22, he was on board an airplane close to an open door. Operating as the film's second unit director on a B-25... B-25? Bomber? B-25? I could be saying this incorrectly because I know nothing about bomber planes. B-25 bomber, John declined the use of a safety harness. A passing aircraft got a little too close, which created a freak gust of wind that threw the B-25 off to one side. Jordan ended up losing his balance. He got too close to the door and was promptly sucked out of the aircraft. He plummeted 4,000 feet into the ocean. The movie did not have much commercial success, and Hulu remade a limited series adaptation in 2020. George Clooney was both acting as executive producer as well as playing a minor role in the series. While filming in Italy, he was hit by a car while riding a motorcycle to the set. He sustained some injuries and was hospitalized, but was promptly released. I mean, this one I, I also didn't know about that, and I feel like anytime there's planes involved, 
while you're filming, it's just an extra level of danger because there's so many of these deaths that I'm not even reporting on in this episode that have to do with planes, motorcycles, stunts across the board. It's wild. I truly had no idea how many people had gotten both hurt and killed by all of the stunts that have happened on these big budget movies. Another one that I didn't know about, number three. Mike Huber working on G.I. Joe Retaliation from 2013. There was not much that had been reported from the accident that took place in New Orleans. Mike was a locally hired crew member, and personally, I could not find at what capacity that he worked on the set, um, or sorry, worked on the show as couldn't find his title. I would assume that he was, you know, someone in construction possibly because he was operating a scissor lift while assisting with the teardown of a set. Reports claim that the lift tipped over and he sustained fatal injuries. Really, that's the extent of the report that I can find. And then further, Paramount Studios released this statement Quote, our thoughts and deepest condolences are with the Huber family at this time, end quote. Paramount also said that the safety of its cast and crew is their top priority, and it's, quote, fully cooperating with all investigating agencies as they examine the circumstances surrounding this unusual accident, end quote. The movie released, and the credits rolled with Mike Huber getting a special dedication at the end. Number two, John Suttles from the crew of 2012's The Avengers. This one personally is a little, feels a little sad to me. John Suttles had worked in Transpo as a driver, unloading, driving, and downloading trucks for years. Some of his credits before his passing were on Iron Man 2, Water 4 Elephants, and 7 Pounds. John had slipped on the tailgate of his truck that he was preparing to drive from a Los Angeles studio to a set in New Mexico. His head injury proved fatal. He was survived by his daughter, Jeanette Leone, and she had said that her only interaction with the production companies after her father's death was going through the arduous process of securing enough workers' comp to cover her son's schooling, which Suttles had been paying for. Workers' compensation prevents workers' families of those killed at work from suing unless their case falls into a handful of narrow exceptions. Lynette said, quote, it was very disheartening to see that in the end, they treated him like a number, end quote. John was 65 when he passed away, and something that his daughter revealed on his 65th birthday is he left a little early to get back to work for prepping some of the trucks and vehicles for their drives. Marvel and Disney did not respond to questions about Suttle's accident, they paid a $745 fine for not having proper handholds on the truck and not supplying drivers with first aid kits. His name did not appear in the credits of the film 
in any regard. So in LA, when you are part of the union 44, and of course other unions as well require this, there is an obligation that you have to fulfill where you take classes, safety classes at contract services, through contract services. And one of the safety classes that you take is, um, oh, I'm going to mess up the name of the class, but you have to learn hand tools and basic rudimentary safety of being on set. And one of the best parts of that class, I think, is when the instructor is telling you stories of how your every single day moments that you don't think about are times when people get the most hurt. And he talks about, for instance, the saw, getting having the guard removed on the saw and how that injures a lot of people and how you know, something that you're just trying to achieve because you're on a time crunch is the thing that will end up hurting you. And something that will always stick with me that has always forever been in my head is a lot of the times if you're on a truck and you operate with the lift gate half up, half down, which I was guilty of when I did commercials and music videos for years, we would just hop on and off of the truck with the lift gate half up, half down. And the instructor was telling me, these, this was also all before I was union, and as he's in, telling us about truck deaths, he was informing us that a lot of the times the hydraulics can give out on the lift gates if it's an older truck or you know something hasn't been maintained, which Galpin can sell older trucks to anyone, and those people can rent those trucks also out to anyone. So uh, he was talking about how when you operate the lift gate half up, half down, the hydraulics can give out and you can, number one, have that lift gate fall on you or another crew member cutting off toes, cutting off feet, cutting off arms, depending on the position that you are in in that moment. And that, I don't know what it what it is, but the visual for that really just, I mean it next level sticks with you. So I just wanted to bring that up because I think it's a, it's an important message because it's something you don't really think twice about. You're just like, I'm in a rush. I need to get on the truck. And instead of waiting for the teamster to raise the gate for me, I can just leave it half up, half down, hop on, grab the, what a X, Y, Z that I need off the truck and then hop back off. And Bob's your uncle. I'm running back to set and I'm much more efficient, right? And it's just not the safest thing that you could do. Oi, this is this episode is low-key stressing me out a little bit just because I'm putting a lot of information that I don't want to be incorrect on because it has to do with safety and people's lives. And so I feel a lot of um, pressure to be correct with everything I'm saying. So I hope that I hope that I did enough research to just do each person's case justice in representation. Which brings us to our last and final death on a set, number one, Brandon Lee, on the set of 1993's The Crow. Most people have heard of the martial arts expert Bruce Lee. His son, Brandon, followed his father's footsteps into acting and working as a fight choreographer for films. 
The 28-year-old was cast in the film as the main character of The Crow. It was set to be Lee's breakthrough role based on James Obar's comic with the same title. During the filming of a scene at one of the studios in North Carolina, Brandon's character was supposed to be shot by gang members. The actor performing the scene was Michael Mossy, and he scripted to fire a 44 Magnum Smith & Wesson revolver from approximately 12 to 15 feet away from Brandon Lee as he walks into a room. Sounds simple enough. We've all been on the sets where you do something that seems pretty normal, just like that. They had filmed a previous scene with the exact same prop gun while it was outfitted with dummy cartridges. And I talk a lot about gun safety in Helena Hutchins' episode that I did earlier. And in case you need a reminder about what a dummy cartridge is, you can check back with that. But it's just basically is um, a cartridge that contains propellant and a primer, but no bullet or shot. And the prop department on this specific movie had prepared their own cartridges, which now is very much illegal across the board for props to do. They need to get them from an armorer and have them properly prepared. The prop department had prepared their own cartridges, which, as I said, very illegal now. And they had removed the gunpowder, but unintentionally left the primer still inside. It should have been completely removed and cleaned before reuse. One of the cartridges had a tiny fragment of a bullet that broke off from the cartridge and was lodged into the gun. It was then fired along with the blank, hitting Lee in the stomach at a force that basically a bullet would, would be shot at. The crew had originally thought that Brandon was still acting until they realized what had transpired. The medic even checked him, thinking that he had hit his head instead of actually being shot at the moment because there was no blood. He was airlifted to the hospital and died in surgery on March 31st, 1993. The movie released in 1994 and was completed using another actor as Brandon's double to achieve the remaining scenes that were still owed to finish principal photography. His mother, Linda Lee Caldwell, filed a lawsuit against the filmmakers alleging negligence in the death of her son. The suit was settled two months later under undisclosed terms. Lee had quoted a passage from Paul Bowles' book called The Sheltering Sky during an interview when he was revealing that he had chosen this excerpt for his wedding invitations. This quote is now inscribed on his tombstone, which is also just a, a really chilly thought that he was talking about this and then passed away. It reads as follows. Because we don't know when we will die, we get to think of life as an exhaustible well, and yet everything only happens a certain amount of times. 
and a very small number, really. How many more times will you remember a certain afternoon of your childhood? An afternoon that is so deeply a part of your being that you can't even conceive your life without it. Perhaps four or five times more? Perhaps not even that. How many more times will you watch the full moon rise? Perhaps 20. And yet, it all seems so limitless. I know it sounds a little hokey, but I'm going to do a moment of silence for the people that we have lost while we were working and all of their family members who had to grieve them. Um, Just because doing this episode is a very sensitive topic and I don't want to disrespect anyone and I'd like to pay tribute to the people that we've lost. I know that feels a little silly for a podcast where it's just a person talking and there's tons of true crime shows that um, talk about death and a lot of people dying, but it's not their co-workers. And I personally have never worked with any of these people that I'm talking about, but it's, it's hard when you lose your co-worker and you sometimes have a hard time processing it. If you look back on any of these stories, there's a lot of these people that are involved with the deaths of these filmmakers and they're devastated and it's very hard for them to go back to work. So I'll say that, but back to the crow, uh, the movie released in 1994 and it was a commercial success. It was dedicated to Brandon Lee's memory. There are so many deaths that I didn't touch on in this episode that have happened on set over the years of filmmaking. Some have changed how we do things in our industry, and some have been quiet goodbyes in the background of giant blockbusters. But in the end, it's up to each and every crew member to speak up and operate as safely as they can on set for ourselves, for each other, and for our future. Um, I'm a really big proponent that we have to be more vocal, and if something doesn't feel right, we should speak up about it. I know a lot of the times in scenarios where even my lead man didn't feel safe in the lockup that we had, and she had brought it to the attention of production and asked to have the space retested for chemicals or, you know, leftover residual stuff for an area that was basically a, I believe it was a chicken slaughterhouse, basically. Um, So you just, you want to be careful in those moments. And there was people that were annoyed that she had asked to have the area retested. But at the end of the day, if she hadn't, and the guys that were on our crew were working in that space had developed cancer down the road, that would be a big deal. And I'm just, I mean, I know that's out of, it sounds a little dramatic, but the point is always operate with caution because you can't foresee 
things that are going to cause you issues down the road. And even John Wayne was on a film set that they were filming out in a desert and over 60 members of the crew developed cancer because two years prior, the army was testing nuclear weapons out there and the radiation gave a good majority of the crew members cancer, including John Wayne. And that's something I didn't even put in this episode really as a point and didn't go into very deeply, but there are certain working conditions that I think the unspoken rule is just keep your head down and don't rock the boat and be a good worker, get in, get out and be grateful for what you have. And I don't necessarily agree with that completely because you, your life is your livelihood. And sometimes the film industry is a dangerous place. We operate with a lot of trust in each other, but without trust and communication, I think you can get into a lot of trouble. So I'm going to stop preaching, but I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. I know it's a little morbid, uh, but I also feel like it's important just to talk about these things. Transparency has been a really big theme for me this year, and I think transparency across the board is very important because even I, researching this episode, didn't know about most of these deaths. I have known about a couple of them on the list, but really, for the most part, they were all new to me. So thank you for listening. Thank you for hanging out with me as I read you a bunch of really morbid things. And I just really appreciate everyone joining me on this podcast journey because it's not the easiest thing to, number one, listen to more work stuff after you go to work. And then number two, I'm not really a podcast host in the most traditional sense. So I just appreciate everyone coming to the podcast, hanging out with me on Instagram at Podcast, for writing your emails to me at Podcast at gmail.com. And for... Brittany Soakley and Cassie Price Bales for hanging out with me on Patreon because you guys are supporting this podcast and I could not even put into words how grateful I am for you guys to be my friends and to support on the Patreon. <laughs> uh, so here's another episode of Go For Set Deck. Be an exceptional human today, tomorrow and to infinity and beyond. Goodbye.